We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're back on the Yin's No Ball podcast. I am John Ledyard. With me is Brad Spielberger. Excited to be back with you to talk about another Steelers win two weeks in a row. That was getting uh, feeling a little foreign uh, after those that streak of losses that they had there toward the end of the season. But now we are uh, back and able to talk about a couple Steelers victories with one more week to go left in the regular season. This team remains alive for the playoffs, Brad. Actually alive and pretty well when you consider the fact that Baltimore – locked up the one seed already and probably will play their backups in week 18. What are you seeing out there? Are there other sites? Does PFF take this into account? Like the fact that the Ravens, I don't know, would be unlikely to play their starters four quarters at least against the Steelers in week 18. How do you take that odds into account? I should ask. So I remember we walked through this scenario last week of all the things that needed to happen and, and how yeah. it could play out. Uh, we had Pittsburgh at 19%. We have now to have them at 46%. And Based on just looking at the strength of schedule remaining listed right now is first, meaning the hardest, meaning, you know, Baltimore is currently number one in our power rankings, and obviously their backups would not be first in power rankings. So I think you could say PFF has it at 46% with the assumption, um, you know, that they're playing against the best team in football, uh, and obviously they're not. I don't think Baltimore is going to play their guys at all. Um, Maybe they do. I know Harbaugh is kind of old school. They play in the preseason, you know, whatnot. But you you lock up the bye. You've had some injuries to guys like a Mark Andrews, Ronnie Stanley been rotating in out of the lineup. You know, the the DBs, they had Kyle Hamilton recently. Um, You know, Brandon Stevens been kind of dinged up. So I think they're probably going to go full on rest, especially because you just played like San Fran and Miami. It'd be one thing if you'd kind of, I don't know, didn't have these huge games and wanted to give yourself that juice. Hey, it's a rival. Let's get a good game in week 18. But like you just played two playoff games in back-to-back weeks. So long answer short there, kind of a coin flip. Um, you know, and, and it's funny. I, I think we were very wrong in saying, oh, they need all these things to go in their favor. They're kind of dead. That was wrong. But I honestly think we kind of nailed it in, in how we viewed the matchup with Seattle. Um, I think a lot of what we said played out. It was hard to imagine Seattle being this pathetic defensively as they were in this game. You and I were texting about it this morning. So as we watched the tape, this was really embarrassing. Uh, probably one of the more embarrassing efforts I've seen from a team this season on tape in any game that I've watched, not just Steeler games. Um, I, we can maybe get into that. We'll, we'll talk about that as we because we're going to talk a lot about the Steelers' offense probably because that's where a lot of the – I think everybody knows the defense is what it is right now. If the edge rushers and the defensive front wins, they're going to survive maybe a little bit defensively. They won a ton in this game, and they barely survived because the secondary was atrocious. Um, but on offense, this is where kind of like – 
there's a lot of intrigue right now. So we're going to get into that pretty heavily. But yeah, we kind of said this going into the game that although the Steelers, you know, d- definitely like percentage wise had a lower chance and nothing really went their way other than uh, th- them them being victorious, you know, the, the um, yet we said that if they were able to win that game against Seattle and and I felt like I picked Baltimore to beat Miami. So I thought Baltimore would lock up that one seed and uh, be in position to rest their starters week 18. So the odds were probably a little bit deceiving there in terms of the fact that Steelers probably had a better chance than not to get in um, if that happened. So I I think they can beat the Ravens backups. I'm not even that confident in that, but I think they I think they can. Um, how many of the Ravens backups play? Do they play their backups defensively? They're a pretty deep team defensively. They don't really rely on a star in any one position, really. Um, yeah. They're pretty... You know they obviously have some some really high end players, but they're not they're really a kind of a a committee a scheme defense more than so than anything else. And so I still really think it's going to be a huge challenge because I don't think um, highly enough of the Steelers and because I think that highly of the Ravens. So that in and of itself remains a question mark. Then the other results that need to go the Steelers way in addition to them winning is Jacksonville losing or uh, the Bills losing to the Dolphins. It would be absolutely from a neutral football perspective. It is crazy to think about the fact that if the Bills lost to the Dolphins and the Steelers won, the Bills would be out of the playoffs. That is wild, Brad. There is no comparison between these two teams, but yet here we are. And the the Bills, you know, early in the season, you got to take care of business too, and they struggled in that regard. So from a neutral football fan perspective, I'm sure a lot of people will be wanting to see the Bills just to see quality of play. The Steelers have are no are are pretty familiar with being in that situation, right? They've been the team nobody wants to see get into the playoffs because the brand of football they play is pretty ugly. But for the last two weeks, it's actually looked pretty fun offensively. They've been explosive. Mason Rudolph got the start, and we talked a lot about who would start between these two quarterbacks. And I want to get there, but it honestly might not have mattered in this game because a Seattle didn't want to play on that side of the ball, and b Jalen Warren and Najee Harris, Brad, just took their will to play right from them. What an amazing performance by those two. Right out of the gate. Both guys running hard, bouncing off tackles, get, getting Rudolph in some favorable situations. And, yeah, we'll get there. He did make some throws. I think two, like, beautiful throws. Um, but, yeah, we talked about this defense in Seattle, uh, broken. I, I don't know what they're going to do there, um, you know, because they aren't just running, like, a classic cover three shell, Pete Carroll defense. They bring in Clint Hurt. They had Sean Desai last year. Like, they've done a lot of different things. And yeah, the personnel's not there yet, but they've invested a lot of draft picks, um, you know, and, and free agent dollars into this defense, and, and they just are not a good unit. So, yeah, no, I mean, the running backs were the story of the first half, um, in particular, I thought, and, and just kind of imposing their will, and then it, you know, led to kind of a snowball effect of being able to consistently do that with the, with the Seattle kind of on their toes a little bit. But you know, the the, the drop back passing game also did enough to be respected enough to continue to help them be able to run the football, even when it was probably more expected they were going to run the football based on the game script. So yeah, no, it was, it, it was a, it was a fun win. It was a good win. And I guess, look, Baltimore's backups might be more talented than the new England Patriots and Arizona Cardinals. So we definitely cannot mm-hmm. just chalk this week. 18 game up as a win. Uh, Cause I think you might be able to make that like, yeah, like you said, a defense, like they're still probably playing like Travis Jones a bunch, like a bunch of like good recent draft picks that are like football players. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. No, oh, yeah, no, you definitely can't chalk it up as a win just yet. And, and we'll definitely get there. We're going to preview that game um, completely on Thursday. So you'll kind of have a lot of our more of our thoughts on that one. Obviously, a critical one for Pittsburgh. But so was this. And I really just can't say enough about how impressive 
Najiaris and Jalen Warren were in this game, particularly because I did not feel like the Steelers and Steelers necessarily just dominated Seattle in terms of the scheme. And they caught them. And we've seen other Steeler run games this season when they get it going, they're catching teams in a lot of light boxes and they're kind of finding some advantageous surfaces to run through. That wasn't even necessarily always the case in this game. There were instances of that, but in this game, there's a ton of just Harrison Warren getting the ball breaking contact, breaking tackles, stiff-arming someone, juking someone out, making something happen over and over and over again. This was an average offensive line performance, I felt like, for a run game that turned out 202 yards on the ground with 197 of those yards coming from the running backs in this game. Uh, Harris finished with 27 carries for 122 yards. Somehow, despite the fact that he continues to be more productive than Harris, which I hate doing this because Harris has clearly been good this season. Yeah. Not great, but good. Jalen Warren has been unbelievable. He gets 14 less carries than Najee Harris in this game. I have no idea how you could watch the game he was playing and think that. Part of it is using him more on passing downs. I get that. But he's got to have more opportunities to touch the football. He averaged almost six yards a carry compared to Harris's four and a half. Both players were awesome. Harris broke PFF has Harris with nine force missed tackles, Warren with eight. I, you could bump those numbers probably, uh, depending on your perspective as you're viewing the game for both of them. Warren had five force missed tackles on one run, it was one of the highlight runs of the year. Um, Harris threw uh, Tariq Woolen out of the club uh, into another dimension of space and time from which the man is still not returned <laughs> with one of the nastiest arms you'll see. Um, it was an un- what I was most impressed by Brad as I was watching the game is just how physically dominant both of them were. And we've talked about that before. We've said these are probably two of the most physical backs in the league. But how Seattle just absolutely caved, caved to both of these guys and their style of play that was the storyline of the game. And I know people talk body blows and we laugh about that stuff. And I tend to be one that laughs about that stuff. There's no doubt in this game, you know, you could say Seattle, you didn't have it from the get. And maybe that's, maybe that's true. I think it's probably true, but whatever they did have, those two guys took from them because they were just physically dominant. And they came into that game with a, a determination. They were going to beat the heck out of Seattle's defense. And they did it. Yeah, like you said, I think it was like an average to above average offensive line game. They did enough to kind of move. I mean, like you can displace these players besides Leonard Williams. Like there's no one on the mm-hmm. defensive line that's a plus against the run. Um, Jaron Reed, I mentioned before last week, like has been good for him recently, but he's kind of your opinion is back interior pass rusher. He has had a bunch of TFLs, but I think a lot of that is like one gapping and just getting upfield. So either you get a tackle for loss or you're just out of the play. The DBs, I mean, you mentioned Tariq Woolen. He also took Quandre Diggs for a ride for like six yards. So, like, he had one arm out and was just carrying Quandre Diggs, uh, who's a good football player. Um, that, that's Najee I'm talking about there. Like, yeah, yeah. They, just, they just played more physical and just imposed their will. That was an insane run. I mean, both yeah. of these guys just were, like, flexing the stiff arm all game, and they both caught some bodies at different times. But uh, Warren... He didn't necessarily toss it up, but he pushed people out of the way a couple of times with the stiff arm. That was deadly for him. Harris, yeah, he had the one play where he's stumbling as he gets through the hole. Like, it looks like he's about to go down. And Diggs jumps on his back. So, like, a normal human just falls when that happens. Like, that's just how normal. He somehow is stumbles for, like, 10, 15 more yards while Diggs is hanging onto his body. And he's just, like, stiff-arming Diggs enough away from his frame that he can just keep moving forward, just carrying this guy down the field. I, it was freakish performances by both of them. I, the tape is just unbelievably impressive. Um, they took put the team on their back. They are the reason 
the main reason above all else that this team won this game. I can count the number of times I've said that about a run game and running backs and even in a single game on one hand. That is how rare I've said that. But no doubt watching it live, no doubt watching the tape. They were the reason Pittsburgh was successful offensively. That isn't to take away from the other pieces, which we're going to talk about, because Rudolph did some good things and the wide receivers did some good things as well. It was a really good showing all around by the skill players. But just was so impressed with the way those two uh, put it uh, put it upon themselves to be able to to carry this team. And it isn't just running the ball either, especially with Warren. There's the receiving aspect of it, which he's impressive in this game as well when he got opportunities. But also the blocking. I mean, what he does, he, the pickings end around. He gets out and he blocks. He 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 hammers Julian Love, and Julian Love ends up falling backwards and landing out of bounds, basically, or having to backpedal out of bounds because Warren coming around there again for the second week in a row to throw a block in space. He said he would block for pickings in that situation, and he literally is on the goal line. Um, and so he just, every pass protection, the, the deep ball from Rudolph to Pickens, that kind of felt like it sealed things a little bit. The the, the amazing catch Pickens made down the field. Uh, Warren takes out one guy, carries him into Bobby Wagner, who's blitzing as well, takes out Wagner too. Two guys uh, in pass protection for a running, but just an absolutely epic play. Like, I just don't think there are 10 football players, and I tweeted this today, I don't think there are 10 football players in the league more fun to watch than Jalen Warren on a rep-to-rep basis. He is just so impressive in everything that he does. It's getting harder and harder to even find a weakness with this guy, Brad. Like, he is just, he's kind of the perfect running back. Yeah, because we're also talking about his physicality. It was probably his first carry of the game when he had a spin move on Michael Jackson on the right side and just, just spinned him out into it like out of his shoes uh, and broke off a nice game down the right sideline. No, you're right. You have the pass pro, you have the finesse or the physical running game. He is a fluid pass catcher. Like, you know, it doesn't waste steps when he does you know, haul in the ball and often kind of makes his first move without losing focus and focus drops. Like it's, you're right. Like it's really hard to find a weakness in his game. You could say he's not the elite in any category, but he's good at pretty much everything. It it really is amazing, and I actually would. I mean, I think we're seeing this season. That was what we probably would have said last season. Is that like he's he's good across the board, and this season, I think with a little more opportunity, we're seeing like he might actually be elite and most things across the board. Like he's not elite speed wise, but he's got right. an unbelievable short area burst, which yeah. is so much more important as a back. I think the change of direction. He's got a deep bag of moves. We've seen vision. We know his power and his tackle breaking are elite. Like we've seen the numbers. We've seen the tape. Like there's no doubt. Like he's one of the hardest running backs to tackle in the league uh, in space in the whole, like doesn't matter. So it, I mean, his hands, like, you know, I mean, pass catching ability, maybe he's not like this. Well, they don't even ask him to do it, but like, I would love to see like him in an offense that asks him to run real routes, like the blocking, the pass protection, even this season is just taking a huge leap. Um, from where it was even at the beginning of the season to now just being completely dominant for weeks now. Um, man, I, it's it's getting real. Like you talk about three down guys who you can trust in every situation to do everything. And especially with how more, more diverse the Steelers rushing scheme has become for him still to be good in that regard. I don't know that there's many more valuable running backs in the league that right now than what Jalen Warren brings to the table. The Steelers are the only team that doesn't probably realize that because they continue. And Harris is a good player. Like for yeah. sure, like the, a lot of teams would be happy to have Harris as their starter. I I love Harris's style. This is not about Harris, and I said this all the time, but I just want to be so clear with it because I really like Harris, and I think both players should play. But the idea that Harris should get fourteen more carries than the guy who's just better than him, just more explosive than him, bid better than him this season, um, it's been shown on tape. It's been shown in the numbers. Um, I don't think there's any question. And like that to me is is another frustrating aspect of the team not really realizing who their best players are and who their best. Uh, you know what the rest skill sets are necessarily, but I just 
thought this was a game we deserve. They deserved like five to 10 minutes of our time on this pod because they were just, both of them were just so awesome in this game. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No, 110%. I think the last thing I'll touch on, and we can move on, though, we talk about, like, he still is really just kind of running screens or leaking out. Like, you mentioned the short area burst. Like, him running, like, a Texas route or, or like, just, like, a simple option route, like, and just changing direction against backers that aren't good against running backs. And, like, he would have so much room to run after the catch. Uh, and, again, I'm not asking him to put him out wide and run, like, very comp, you know, but, like, it's pretty much just, like, you know, wheels screens and you know leak but like yeah like him running something over the middle um you know where it's one cut and 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 change direction i think he would be embarrassing linebackers on a weekly basis no doubt i think there's so much more untapped potential for him to be like a bell cow three down guy guy getting 75 percent of your snaps or running back Uh, i will be excited if the organization makes wide steps at any point to move in that direction um as it is Harris, if you're gonna if you're gonna be clueless about something, being clueless in a situation that puts Najee Harris on the field more is a lot better than being clueless on a situation that puts Levi Wallace on the field more. <laughs> for example, not that I know what that would be like or have seen that happen, but just saying. Um, but yeah, there's no doubt Harris played a heck of a game as well. The way he stayed up for that touchdown, I mean, didn't make any sense at all. Get hit at the line of scrimmage by two guys. Bobby Wagner's ever. Like, he just like yeah. runs through both, runs through the next hit, like somehow just stayed up for five yards, like hovering above the ground, barely, and reached into the end zone for the touchdown. Just the guy's balance and effort are every single play, both of them. Like they are what's there, they are what represents what this team should be about. No, not everybody on the team plays that way, but they are both selfless, completely dedicated to victory and everything that they do. Um, and it's just fun to see that there are actually still players like that. Cause we bemoan the culture of this team and the locker room and some of the players on the team a lot. And I think some of that's pretty deserved. Uh, others do it more than us actually um, with this team. But I think a lot, some of that is deserved, fr- frankly, like especially this year we've seen, yeah, a lot of that's deserved. Um, but man, it's nice to have two guys that you just don't have to worry about in that regard. They're just going to like, give everything they have for the team. So that was really fun to see the decision to start Mason Rudolph over Kenny Pickett was talked about much. It's probably a bigger story this week going to the Ravens game than to me it was last week. Um, people tried to make it a story last week. I thought pretty unsuccessfully from, from my perspective anyway. Um, Kenny Pickett was clearly not healthy. He was living in practice all week. He wasn't hundred percent. He got cleared. I think on Friday, he hadn't had the reps all week. Um, that was obviously going to be important to them. Sure, if Mason had played like complete trash, but given the fact that he played well enough to manage the situation the week before, I think that I understand completely why they were confident in Mason going into it. 
is it gr- a great look for Kenny that that happened? No, I don't think it is. It's clearly the clear that it's up in the air enough for them um, for it to be con- something to consider at least when game time. And then this week, this it is a big story now. They're going with Mason Rudolph this week against Baltimore. Kenny Pickett is completely cleared. He'll be the number two quarterback. Uh, not interested really getting into those completely ridiculous allegations that were put out there by ridiculous people that Kenny Pickett wasn't willing to be uh, the number two the uh, the week before. That was 100% not true. And so um, those things, you know, now we put those things aside, perhaps like just looking at the situation with Rudolph, I understand why Pittsburgh wants to ride the odd hand. I've said from a, from a, and, and obviously being in the playoff picture, I think like it, it, the, the onus, they want, they obviously want to get to the playoffs. I understand that. I would still, you know, my personal opinion is still that like getting a look at Kenny Pickett is more valuable, but now you're down to one game to do that. Um, Pickett has not played for uh, five weeks now. And so there's that to consider as well. Uh, the fact that there might be some rust there. Rudolph playing well and the energy from you're getting from the receivers uh, with that is probably has something to consider too. So I won't pretend like it's an easy situation going into this week, given how Ru- the fact that Rudolph I thought played better against Seattle than even the week before. Um, we'll talk about the defense he faced, but, um, but yeah, I think I understand why they're making the decision. It's, how they've treated the evaluation of Kenny Pickett is probably a separate topic we get into after we talk about Rudolph. But at this point in time, with Rudolph playing the way he has for two straight weeks, it's okay. You want to put the guy out there you think is going to be uh, to raise the floor a little bit, probably is the way I'd put it. Like, I don't know that they think he's better or more talented, but maybe the floor's raised a little bit. And there were good and bad for Mason Rudolph in this game. Watching the All 22, uh, you know, I, I felt like a, l- a little bit more mixed on it than I did live, you know, where I, I think everybody was kind of, wow, like they're, they're making explosive plays down the field. Um, but I, I I really think more than anything, the fact that we have not been able to see Kenny Pickett with more without Matt Canada is going to be something that I I I hate about this season. <laughs> not that I ever believed that Kenny, I have not, as you know, but that is a, kind of a disappointing part of this. But let's talk about Rudolph first. What did you see from him in this game? Yeah, so... First, like, yeah, the only thing I think that's interesting there is just that you basically are also making the decision on the playoffs. Like, even if Rudolph, let's say he plays average, below average in week 18, but they obviously get in in this hypothetical, I don't think you can switch it. So, like, you're just not letting Kenny play A, post-Canada, and then B, like, you're playing meaningful playoff football, and your week one QB3 is, like, that's that's your guy. So, anyway, I do think, he, I mean, he had two big-time throws, and I think both were very legit plays. Um, for those wondering, one of them was 13 minutes to go in the second quarter, uh, you know, the corner route from George Pickens on the left side of the field, kind of uncovered, like no one goes with him. Um, but it was a very nice throw. It's off his back foot. He has a little bit of pressure in his face and he layers out kind of perfectly. Um, and the second one corner out to George Pickens on the other side of the field, uh, with 11 and a half to go in the fourth quarter. He was covered here. I don't really know where the DB was playing with inside leverage. And, like, Michael Jackson, I mean, was terrible in this game in every facet. Um, Guy was moonwalking all over the place. Had to do it. Uh, But, uh, like, again, (laughs) that that was a better throw. Like, also kind of back foot, a little bit of pressure. And then Pickens, I think, makes a miraculous catch. But, yeah, like, he was good. I think he was way better in this game than he was in the Cincinnati game that I thought was just a product of, you know, some short routes breaking off and, and going deep. Like, we had him graded with, like, 15 positively graded throws. Again, only two were, that were you know, more than a plus a half. But yeah. I thought he was legit good in this game. 
Yeah, I agree. Like legit good is probably a good way to put it. Like I thought he was just fine against his head. He just made obvious plays. I thought they were there. He had the one great deep ball to to in the second half to Pickens. Other than that, it was just kind of like, yeah, he was, you know, it was good to see those splash plays. This game, I thought he he improved. There's interesting things about Rudolph's game that are like the opposite of Pickett. I was like realizing as I watched the tape more and get to see Rudolph kind of again after the first time in a little while. Um, but some of the things that are just totally different, his poise in the pocket is is good. Sometimes it's like unfathomably good like he's like yeah. so poised he's a complete statue and like there's pressure in his face and he doesn't back up or move like an inch it's just like this guy literally isn't going anywhere so seattle i mean i can just write a book about how atrocious this game plan was they decided that blitzing him on eight of his dropbacks on 21 percent of his drop was somehow like the good plan in this game like i don't understand why like they just should have blitzed way more. I felt like tried to make him uncomfortable. He, especially most of those came in the second half. Like their game plan was like, we will get pressure with four, even though this offense typically gets the ball quickly. It was just a very strange approach, in my opinion. Like they didn't really send any pressure. And he was very comfortable, especially the first half of this game. Like there was not a lot of notable pressure. Even when there was, it was way more of the fact that he like was refusing to move from his spot in the pocket. Like this guy literally was like, I am standing my ground period. And there were times where he could have just slid a step to the left and just not been under pressure. Then he just wouldn't move at all. So it can be a good thing because he's not spinning out and being as frenetic in the pocket as Kenny. And he made some throws, even when he didn't move and slide in the pocket, he made, you know, the throw to both the throws to Pickens you're talking about were situations where he stood in place in the pocket, basically. Pressure was coming, could easily slid over, though. It wasn't like there was an unblocked guy. It was just an offensive line getting knocked back a little bit toward him. And he just stayed right where he was and threw without even being able to step in totally to his throw. Um, and so it was, like, in some ways impressive. In other ways, you're like, man, this could be very problematic against a team that's actually good at rushing the passer. Um, I think that there could be a lot of regression in the mean with some of these things. So we'll see from him in that regard. Ball placement was another thing. A lot of people on Twitter were talking about. I want to make sure that we mentioned it. Ball placement wasn't great necessarily. There was a ton of really wide open receivers in this game. Um, Deontay Johnson on the Yankee concept might have been as wide open as I've ever seen a Steeler wide receiver since like maybe the Todd Haley days. That was crazy. Um, so there were some throws like that. Even that one he put like pretty high. Deontay's got to kind of fully extend. Everything was catchable for the most part. Like he wasn't totally erratic and missing like tons of big throws, which Kenny did early in the season, at least first couple of weeks. Like that was a, that was a real question mark. Um, but it was definitely like he didn't lead his receivers into yak very often. Uh, he could have placed a lot of balls better uh, than he did in this game. I think the accuracy is just going to be hopefully good enough and not great. Um, if the Steelers are going to overcome Baltimore and, and try and pull off an upset in the playoffs, that's something to, to note, I think, is that you're probably not going to get amazing accuracy for Mason Rudolph. Now, and the other one, just before we get into the positives, that was a little bit confused and maybe some of this on me. I, mean, I don't think it is actually after watching the plays pretty closely, but two plays that he missed that were really confusing to me. Uh, the first drop back of the game, he ends up throwing underneath the Deontay Johnson on a choice route and Johnson catches the ball and runs for the first down um, uh, after the catch. Oh, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't a choice right now. Maybe I'm confusing my plays, but I know on this play, he had Calvin Austin to the concept side on a go ball who had beat the corner. And it was a touchdown if he put it out there. Like Austin threw his hand up. He was ready for it. He was expecting it. And he doesn't throw it. He comes back underneath. And I, I, I he's not under pressure. I don't know why he doesn't throw the ball. 
in that situation. Like that's a touchdown and he didn't take it. And so that was interesting to me. And maybe these are things you just work through in film first throw of the game. You're not necessarily thinking that big and you know, maybe that's as simple later in the game. Uh, it was a, before the final field goal of the game, maybe or something. they're down near the red zone. They first and goal, they run it twice and don't get in, I think. And then third down, he's got, Allen Robinson slipping out from like a wing alignment, slipping off a block and into the end zone uh, for like a pop pass touchdown, basically. And Diggs is a safety, but he shaded the other side of the field. And Diggs is looking at Rudolph and he's going to attempt to make a play on the ball, but he is just simply not close enough to Robinson, who's fading away from him. You can throw back shoulder to Robinson here. He's wide open. Plays the ball well, and you just give me it with some pace, and it's giving me a touchdown. Like he, he, that's what you have to do in the red area, and he doesn't throw the ball. He holds on to it and he lets basically the play get erased. And then he throws the ball at the back of the end zone. A, you have to throw that ball and that small window of time for a touchdown there to seal the game. B throwing the ball out the back of the end zone meant the clock stopped in that situation when you could have easily, if you weren't going to throw the ball on third down, then you just slide down right there and they kick the chip shot field goal and, and get what you would have gotten anyway. But you can't stop the clock in that situation. So there are a couple plays like that. I'm not trying to focus on the negatives too much, but just things to note um, that are that are plays that were being left out there. Um, this was one of the best schemed games from the Steelers I've seen in a long time. And Rudolph had lots of good, the touch and accuracy and throws over the top. Talked about the poise in the pocket. I also like the fact that there are a lot of quick decisions from him. He is not kind of second guessing himself on the short underneath stuff, the middle of the field. He doesn't seem to have aversions to areas of the field like Pickett and, and Trubisky obviously um, has had. Um, so those things are all, all definite positives um, that I want to make sure we mention too. But it was a it was a it was a good Rudolph performance. There's a lot to evaluate with him because we haven't seen him that much, uh, and it's been kind of fun to look at a different type of quarterback the last couple of weeks. The first one you mentioned, it was like the rare time where I legit yelled watching film. It's the third and five in the like the first drive, and and Calvin uh, Austin throws up the mailbox. I mean, yeah. it's weird too because he's looking right at it, and both the corner it's a stutter go, the corner bites, and then the safety comes down to play like an out route from Fryermuth or whoever that is, mm-hmm. you know, like to, like to the bout to the you know the sideline. Calvin Austin is so gone, like it's. <laughs> Just throw it up in the air anywhere width of the field, and he's just going to walk in for a touchdown. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like you said, early, you know, maybe doesn't want to take a huge shot right out of the gate, but it's it's as open as a guy's going to be besides, yeah, the Deontay Johnson play. You have two guys running routes, and they're in cover three. And the the anyway, um, I mean, yeah, Seattle's defense is bad. We, we, we touched it, but not, not to take away from Rudolph. But, yeah, no, I do think the element of there was a decisiveness that I guess that sometimes you could say – like if he was less committed, maybe he hits a bigger play. But I think you take that. I think you definitely take it. You know, he was there. There weren't many turndowns on seven yard completions. There were turndowns on throwing go balls fifty yards downfield and hoping you connect. And it's like you can live with that. You know, especially given how the game played out. But yeah, no, I mean, we it, it wasn't a like I got asked this morning on 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 the fan like should he be the starter week one next year? Like no, but. You know, he was good. He probably should have been the number two, not number three coming into the year. Probably should have cut Trubisky and saved a bunch of money. And, you know, that's 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 a whole different conversation. Um, but, you yeah, know, he, he he honestly, like you said, the one thing impressed me the most was his ability to layer over over second level defenders and have good touch on a lot of throws. There were, I agree, placement was off. Like, the, again, the Deontay catch kind of turns him around and he still, it picks up so much yak because Seattle doesn't know what they're doing. But like there's there's a scenario where you lose 20 yards of of yards after the catch with that ball placement if the def- defense is kind of positioned differently. Um, but yeah, the touch passes were impressive. Like he he 
you know, he knows how to put the right amount of speed on it and the right amount of, uh, you know, trajectory on the ball more so than I recall. I remember a lot of Oklahoma State being like, he kind of at times, um, depending on the concept, but I, I remember over the middle in particular being like, he only throws fastballs. And that, that was not on film here at all. Yeah, he can layer throws a lot better than he used to for sure. And seemed to have a good understanding. There's only one ball I thought that I, you guys didn't chart him with the turnover where they play because the DB didn't try to catch the ball. He tried to knock it down. But early in the game, Deontay Johnson, I actually don't remember the route, maybe a comeback or something like that. It was the one where Johnson caught it and then kind of fumbled it, was falling out of bounds. We did a complete Deontay Johnson play where he almost blew it. And just the funniest, the absolute funniest player in the league. There's no doubt. Um, but yeah, he, he, uh, he put that one like way too far inside behind Johnson and the DB thought it was going to be outside. So he had already committed to like knocking the ball down and trying to reach around Johnson. And so Johnson able to catch, come back and catch it uh, behind like the DB's back. It was like a very odd play that I forget who the DB was. He just completely misplayed it. He should have picked it off. Um, and they ended up, uh, you know, Johnson ended up catching that, I think. And then they, they said he fumbled as he was going out of bounds. He's technically his foot was on the chalk. So it ended up being crisis averted in multiple situations. It could have been multiple crises on that play. Other than that, though, I didn't, he didn't really put the ball in harm's way, which is a good thing. Um, as well. So yeah, he, I, I think you have to be pretty impressive given the fact that this guy's a QB three. And I think I said before the year, maybe it was last last year or something, but just that Rudolph is a QB three, given what we've seen from like QB three that, you know, can actually play like he's not yeah. like unplayable. That's pretty good. So like, I, I wasn't surprised that he was better than Trubisky for sure. Um, I think some of the, what they've asked him to do, I'm really happy about, like, I I'm pretty happy with the way the Steelers offense has kind of evolved without Canada. And we've seen, three of the better Steeler offensive performances. Basically, all the ones without Trubisky have been really good performances from the Steelers offense without Matt Canada. Um, that is the bigger story that's getting lost in the whole quarterback controversy you should play is that Canada and Trubisky were horrendous, and the Steelers didn't properly evaluate that. And we talk about evaluation of talent. We've obviously talked about that with Canada to death, but it could cost the Steelers the playoffs, the fact that they did not realize Trubisky was that much worse than Mason Rudolph. And, I didn't see Mason Rudolph played it for a couple of years. So like it was, but they see those guys every day and maybe it was hard to see. I don't know, but it, it just is. And especially not going away from Trubisky sooner than they did those things. We talked about, that's been a theme of the season that and, and we're going to have a whole pot on it at some point after the season, but the, the, the lack of ability to analyze your own roster's talent and make decisions based on that analysis, make proper decisions based on that analysis has really plagued this team this season when you think about where they could have been with some of the personnel they've put out on the field and they just haven't this season. And this could be the latest and biggest example of that. Because the reason why I don't give him a pass, Rudolph's been in the building for what, like six years now? Like it's not yeah. like it's a QB3 that like that was on a different roster that they signed this offseason they're getting to know. It's like it's a homegrown third-round pick that you've had from day one. Um, so so that kind of eradicates that. But um, yeah, no, I actually do think like you said they weren't wizards, but both of the George Pickens catches we're talking about were in one was in a, a bunch to the right after motion, the other was a stack to the left where he was in the inside, which I've been talking about on the inside of the formation. And that one, the DBs just, again, just no one follows him. But still, like, they were creating conflict. There's a bit of a rub um, on the on the one to the right where Michael Jackson, again, I think he misplays it and has weird leverage and just, like, doesn't respond well to what Pickens is doing. And I also think Pickens actually adjusts well to where you look at his last couple strides before the dive, he, like, turns on the Jets. Like, he realizes the ball is a little bit out in front of him and he has to kind of, you know, adjust on the fly. But 
But again, both times, and obviously there's other examples, like they, they had some rubs and, and, and different things that caused the defense to just be a step late on certain concepts. Um, the speed out to Deontay Johnson um, on the near the goal line was – there wasn't any anything there, but I think they, they lined up in a similar formation before and ran like a slant flat concept that that created a a natural pick. And I think the defense, if you watch, I think it's Julian Love. I don't even know the way they play it. I think they're expecting a similar play, and instead it's just like you know the clear out route and and, and an out route from Deontay, but he's wide open because because the DBs play it as if they're expecting maybe a conflict point like. There were, again, there, this, we're not talking about Kyle Shanahan, but I, I thought there were some good route combinations and spacing yeah. in this game. It, like it, it was meaningful. Like the spacing was like intentional, uh, and I don't think we can say that every week about this this offense. No, definitely not. Like there was really some really good stuff. I mean, just the usage of so many more horizontal route concepts, you know, overs and the crossing patterns. Like it just allows you to create leverage on defenders so often. Um, and we saw the deep over by Pickens. You're talking, I mean, the 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 Yankee concept over out to Deontay Johnson. Like these are all like showing up consistently on tape. And so yeah, using the whole field, um, finding space and, and asking receivers to move to space is definitely improved stuff, no doubt. We're not Really, we're probably ever going to be ready to have a conversation about Solvin and Faulkner and who should be the OC and if if these guys should be given interviews and things like that. I don't know that I'll be ready for that. Like, I just don't know that I'll have a large enough sample size from this season to be able to really draw a good conclusion on that. So I know people are curious about that. Let's just let's just get to the off season first, and we'll and we'll yeah. talk about all that as much as we possibly can. But yeah, this they've definitely taken a very broken very ridiculous offense and made it somewhat semi-competent uh some of the time as long as the quarterback is not like completely sabotaging it um so that should be one of the main storylines is just the fact that when Trubisky and Canada haven't been a part of this equation this offense actually looked pretty good because the skill players are good which we said all season and people well, maybe the skill players just aren't that good no the skill players are very good on this team the running backs are good the wide receivers are good Fryermuth is definitely good enough maybe at some point they'll let Washington cuts the football and we'll find out something about him but this is a very good group of skill players. Yes, they need a wide receiver three. Calvin Austin's even got involved a little bit here lately. And this game, I think four players caught a pass. Um, so they're they're still not getting anything from that spot. But overall, yeah, these are yeah, Pickens and Johnson will each probably do one thing each game that makes you just want to scream. But super talented playmakers. And we've basically, since this offense has gotten rid of Canada, we've basically seen that on display. Pretty consistently, the numbers for these guys, the production has been there. The points output has increased. The yardage, like the process, was good when Pickett that first game. Everybody was like, "Oh, it's only 16 points against the Bengals." They had 400 some yards. They had the the refs blow the call on the Deontay Johnson touchdown. That would have been 23 points there. They had a fumble by Jalen Warren. They ended up coming up with no points on that drive. They had things that in that game you were like, "This is a good process." And some people are just looking at the scoreboard and they were like. Now it seems like the same old Steelers to me, 16 points. And then Trubisky comes in and ruins everything. And But when you get back to it, like if you look at this offense overall without Canada, they've put up points, they've put up yards, as long as they've gotten just average quarterback play even. They've done those things. And so that to me is a testament of player of coaches that finally just are like, A, we're going to be aggressive offensively, and B, we've got skill players who can carry us if we if we let them. And that's really what's happening right now. These guys are going out there and making it happen. I mean, Pickens last week, and this week, the running backs and Pickens on a couple catches as well. Johnson had a couple of catches on high balls to uh, from that could have easily been sailed incomplete. Like these skill players are stepping up and carrying the team, and it is making a world of difference right now. George Pickens, amidst some you know issues with like staying focused, all that with you know for the first half of the season, the worst play caller in the sport. 
with, you know, even with better quarterback play, still at best average quarterback play, had more receiving yards this year than Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, Devontae Smith, DK Metcalf, and Chris Olave. Like, and yeah, some guys have missed time with injury. Devontae's playing with, you know, AOC uh, in, in Las Vegas. Like, I got that. But it, it's it's remarkable nonetheless. And we've kind of talked about it, too. It's it's funny. Football, super complicated. The most complex thing in the world. I joke that it's harder than law school. I, I mean that when I'm trying to learn this game. Um, but also at the same time, like, if you just have better players and you just run – simple concepts that are just get those guys um you know yeah just create some conflict and get those guys open and let them go to work and sometimes that's all it really needs to be um at least against you know most defenses in the nfl yeah i mean pickens is, is has star potential for sure yeah and we're starting to see that be recognized i mean to have an 1100 yard season and this offense and the way that he's done it averaging over 18 yards a catch um, this season, like it's not been easy uh, to make this happen. And so, yeah, just a huge season from him. You could see just there's and also there's just I mean, he's dropped three passes like his drop rate is basically cut in half from last season uh, when people were like, oh, maybe that'd be an issue. And yeah, the contested catch numbers aren't great uh, for sure. But like I said, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that stuff is a lot of ball placement stuff. I think that stuff is going to come back around. So I'm not necessarily even worried about that. And then you've seen him increase. Uh, the, the yardage after the catch that's like one of the most exciting parts is that getting him the ball and in breaking concepts and concepts that allow him to catch the ball while on the move while running away with leverage has allowed the yak to come out rather than always stopping and coming back to the ball for all of his catches on the route concepts with canada um and just go balls right back shoulders you're not getting yak on most back shoulder throws um and so that is another big part of the evolution is that you've seen the full route tree come out this year You've seen him be dominant on the inbreakers, and then you've seen him be dominant after the catch. I mean, last year he was averaging 1.38 uh, yards per route run. This year it's 2.20 yards per route run. So he has almost doubled his yards per route run this season, uh, and just being way more efficient, way more open. Um, even the the openness metrics that I've seen, which some of which I quibble with because there's so much. You know, the bigger sample size, the better, but there's just so much. Uh, context that you need to have to understand like why Terry McLaurin is one of the least open wide receivers in the league this season. What's the reasons for that? You know, like that's not been his MO, but even that like Pickens being like well above average this season after being near the bottom of it last year and people like, wow, you can't separate. And, and I said, even myself, like that's, that's an issue right now. But also I said, like, if we have to see him run routes that actually let you separate, like you're not going to separate that much when you're, when you're looking for back shoulder balls all the time. And when you're running stop routes down the field, like those routes aren't creating tons of separation. It's the inbreakers, the outbreakers, things like that. The corners you're talking about that he ran in this game. And once they've asked him to do those things and play more from the slot as well, um, this season has incre increased his percentage of snaps from the slot uh, up to 16.5% of his snaps. So still not a ton, and it shouldn't and probably won't be a ton. But if he can get up in that Mike Evans range of being in the 25% of snaps in the slot, now we can do so many different things with you, and defenses can't key on you the way they used to. So the evolution is game this year. It's been awesome, Brad. Like He is what they want from the wide receiver one, and we know what Johnson's capable of when he's not shooting himself in the foot. And so it's – it really has the potential to be an awesome duo if they could ever stabilize, be consistent as human beings and as players. Yeah, I'll bet more on the latter than the former. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, I think that the slot thing's a great point because a lot of the best receivers in today's game, uh, you know, that are that are ex outside guys, like we think about, oh, he wins near the near the sidelines, like 
Yeah, but the corner routes we're talking about, like that's that's the point. And um, you know, like you can still get you know more create more separation, like you're saying, and and, and just use the whole field. Even and I don't even characterize one of those as slot. Like, yeah, he's inside. He's the number two from the out from the sideline, but he's still way out wide. Like he's not a slot. I guess we probably would chart that as slot because he's inside of a player, but like he's you know, spacing wise, he is very far uh, away from where the ball is being snapped. So, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, it, 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 like we said, it, it wasn't reinventing the wheel, but it was enough to, you know, just get guys a lot of space and a lot of room. Um, and yeah, I mean, 20% is a good number. That's like late stage D hop. You're talking about Mike Evans, who I don't even think is a, a very stylistically similar Devonta Adams, 20, 25%. Like that's where those guys fall. And it, it just, it creates a lot of opportunity. Yeah, for sure. It, it's it's something Deontay Johnson too. Just watching him this season, you're like, okay, well, what's he done? You know, this the the production isn't great. Like 682 yards, you'd have hoped for a lot more. His uh, his um, yards per route run this season are just under his career high, which was in 2021 of 1.83 yards. So he has been productive. His his average depth of target is almost 13 yards down the field. Like this is uh, he is showing he could be that vertical playmaker when they've asked him to be. He's made a lot of those plays. Also drops, which have plagued him pretty much every year of his career over the last three seasons. He's only dropped two balls. He's down to 4.1 percent of of uh, drop rate this season. And so, yes, he's never going to be this contested catch. Cons- consistent maven he's always going to make boneheaded mistakes like this we have seen it for years now with him it would be really unrealistic to think that he would ever that he'll be different than that in the future however the talent is clearly there and i think both these guys if you can get them even better quarterback play for what if that can is even possible and that's where we'll get into the kirk cousins discussions in the offseason and some of that stuff but that kind of moves us into this talking about kenny pickett and stuff in the quarterback situation because Making a decision like this to not start Pickett in a game that every single team in the league would want to see is my franchise quarterback capable of taking on the Baltimore Ravens to get into the playoffs. And maybe it's starters, maybe it's backups. It's not going to be full backups for the Ravens' defense, at least. So is he capable of taking on the Ravens and getting my offense and my team into the playoffs? And then is he capable of playing at a high level in the playoffs? Everybody should want to be seeing that and evaluating their quarterback. The Steelers are actively choosing to turn down the option to evaluate Kenny Pickett in that way. And it brings up the really interesting question of, I understand the desire to win and to get into the playoffs, but at what cost? And is the benefit of playing Rudolph not only great, is he that much better than Pickett? And not only does he clearly give you the better chance of, of getting to the playoffs and winning, but that he also basically clo- is always worth closing the door on the Pickett era for without seeing him play more than one game without without uh, Matt Canada, with the game in which he had the best game of his career without a question, without being able to see any more of Kenny Pickett than that, or see him in high-stakes situations with a team that, honestly, off, talent-wise, is clearly there. Have you seen that the last couple of weeks? There are no questions about that right now. Is he capable of that? That should be what every team in the league wants to see. That should be, to me, the most important thing, especially when, to me, that this isn't like, you know, a, a, a star quarterback like in that that's 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 you're playing ahead of him so to me i would just want to see that and if he can't then okay you, like you know it's one game you don't want to base everything off of that but um you you start to have questions going into the offseason it is what it is the injury put you in this situation you only have one game to evaluate him on right now um so you got to make that decision if he wins you get in the playoffs and you get another game to evaluate him on a high stakes situation quality defense all those things are really important 
you know that Mason Rudolph's not the future of this franchise. You know he's not your QB1 for 2024. So what is going to be your plan now if you've decided that Pickett is not that guy either, which it certainly seems like the Steelers have. To me, Brad, it's hard for the Steelers to go back from this point now that they've decided Pickett's not that guy. No, so your rant from the other probably two weeks ago was like the most prophetic thing probably ever said on the show. Like the process of how they're getting to probably moving on from Pickett is abysmal, but yeah. but you're happy with the result. Like, yeah, he had, and I actually am glad you mentioned it because I, I I need to get a better grasp on like who to believe in Pittsburgh. And again, I'm not like trying to talk down on any reporters, but you get, mm-hmm. you're in this business long enough. You hear stuff yourself. You learn who's putting out speculative stuff and who's putting out like well-sourced stuff. But I like Kenny out. It doesn't strike me as a guy that would do that, but I would be pissed if I was him too. be like you, right. uh, although I know he has a relationship with Canada. So it's kind of weird, but like, he had one game post Canada and like you said, looked good. And from a process standpoint, you would say this was Kenny's best game of the season and showed the flashes we saw down the stretch last year and, and was building block stuff. And I get now that you're in this position, but like, to me, it is kind of closing the door. You are saying the guy that you had as QB three on the, on the depth chart coming into the year, who you've known for six years now, like you'd rather just let him ride it out than bring back in your second year, first round pick player to also like build momentum going into the playoffs because again they might be playing backups in Baltimore in this scenario so it's like it's honestly like I would view it as even better as a we learn about Kenny Pickett and b it's a good ramp up runway back into getting used to contact getting used to the speed of the game all these things to prep you for your first career playoff or did they make the playoffs last year no yeah your first career no. playoff game as the idea in theory future face of the franchise like to me, I mean, it sounds too extreme. Like you're closing the door. That's just how I take it. Like I don't, I don't see how you can view it another way. And, and again, like it might not be. He might be the week one starter next year. But that to me is kind of insane. Then because you're then passing on not only eval but also, you know, like people in our quote unquote analytics space are supposed to poo poo this stuff. I always disagree. Like him getting experience in a playoff game is meaningful. It matters. Like. The, the the prep for that game that the you know the pro, playoff football is different than regular season football i don't think it's as extreme as like you know the nba where i think it's literally two different sports but like it's it's very very different um and you learn from that experience and it really matters um cuz like i said I, unless rudolph throws four interceptions you can't bench it like and but you know they still make the playoffs somehow in this hypothetical you can't have Rudolph play below average, but they win and they get in and then say, okay, now we're going to throw a rusty Kenny Pickett in to start a playoff game. Like, that's not, right. it's not an option. So it's fascinating. It really, really is. And, and to me, I, I view it as, yeah, you're going to go after, and you're going to, you know, plug your ears like a, a Russell Wilson, a Kirk cousin, you know, uh, yeah. A Bonix, a Michael Penix, whatever. Um, maybe Jaden Daniels, I, you know, like I just, I don't see how, you can at least strongly consider that because clearly you don't have a ton of faith in in Pickett. Yeah, that's exactly right. It changes the complexion of the offseason, which we obviously aren't quite there yet, but like that's basically what we're talking about at this point. It's like what the offseason how the offseason has completely changed based on this decision. Because I mean, Mason would have to go on a tear like in the playoffs, right? Like there he he could play well against the Ravens backups. And how well is he gonna play? Like he he would have to be like transcendent, like incredible, 400 yards. Multi- like he would just have to be one of those special before be to, to be like, oh, this might actually to change like the opinion. Oh, this might be. And I just haven't seen anything like that from him to this point. And I just don't think that's what we're considering. I think we're saying like this guy 
is our best quarterback on our roster right now. But I don't think anybody in Pittsburgh, I, I can't believe, even as far as off as this organization is, from where I think they should be process-wise, I can't believe anybody in Pittsburgh would be like, but he clearly could be our guy like moving forward. Like it just it's just not that's not Mason Rudolph. That's not what he is. Like he does not have that kind of skill set, in my opinion. And so yeah, maybe you're like, man, this guy like great QB2 to have, great even bridge quarterback if we did somehow like go just all in on a prospect. If if we couldn't get cut, there was no option in free agency. The trade options seem thinner this year at quarterback, like where we've had Stafford and Rodgers and those guys in conversations in the past. There doesn't seem to be a guy of that caliber amongst the starters, right? So like and I, yeah, no interest in Russell Wilson at all for me. Justin Fields, I'm more interested in than than some of the other options that you that people may mention of free agents like Dobbs and those guys. Yeah, I'm more interested in him than that, but I'm not interested in him. Um, no offense. And so I think I'm, that- taking, I'm trying to fight a battle weekly on the timeline to explain to people why they should take a quarterback first overall. So that's, no crazy, offense that's crazy. I mean, you just <laughs> just watch it. Yeah. Anyway, like they got a good off number one, but you're going to be watching C.J. Stroud for the next decade plus. And yeah, the, there's a lot to think about there even. But so, yeah, I, I mean, that to me is like leaves the Steelers almost in a situation where, yeah, maybe you look at Cousins, you evaluate things there. But what's the ceiling if that happens? And we'll get into all this in a later point. But and then Pickett's still going to be a part of this team, probably. Right. Like uh, the only thing I could see that is if Pickett was like so pissed which I actually agree that he's pissed. I believe those reports completely. Like yeah. that's, I'm not disputing that. Whether he, re- he refused to be active for the game, that's ridiculous. But the yeah. the fact that he's pissed, oh, I'm 100 he's pissed. Like I mean, I'd com- be pissed if he wasn't pissed. Yeah, like it'd be insane <laughs> if he wasn't pissed. Like this team is completely bungled. Everything revolving it. I didn't want him to draft him in the first place. So I'm far from like saying the guy would be a star. But they sat on him with a complete fraud of an offensive coordinator, the worst offensive coordinator in the league by a country mile. And they said, go make magic happen. He actually did at the end of last season. Then this season was terrible. They fire him and they're like, we're going to get a look at you without him. When they were thinking about benching him, we know from the reports from Dulac, they said, no, we're going to trust you. We're going to get a look at you without him. He goes out of the game of his life. He gets hurt in the second quarter of the next game against Arizona. After making him one of his best throws of the season, by the way, he was, I'm not saying he was great in that whole first quarter, but that throw to Pickens in that game, he even was like, all right, here we like, he's aggressive. He's confident. He's playing how he wants to play finally after all these veiled shots at Canada over the years because he's clearly pissed, but he doesn't want to say anything straight up. And then he gets hurt, and then you don't let him get another chance. Like, that's it's horrible process. Like, you took this guy in the first round. You're, that's it. You're going to saddle him with the worst OC in the league, and then that's all you're going to chance you're going to give him. And like I said, I the result is probably ends up being the same, like at some point. Like, he's not the guy, like, because I just right. don't, don't think he is the guy. But from a process standpoint, it's atrocious how they've handled it. It's atrocious what they've given him to work with. It's bad they didn't fire Canada before the season. This whole thing could have been a different conversation, if so. And yeah, it's just a really, really bad process with your most important asset. And now you have run the risk of, okay, he's pissed at the end of the season. And like, so then next season he doesn't want to play or like, he doesn't want to be here and he doesn't want to be back up somebody. And that's all conversation, you know, Rudolph's there. If Rudolph and Pickett are both on the roster and then you bring another quarterback, which I think like that's the most likely situation, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, is he QB3? Like, is he Although Rudolph, I was going to say, like, is Rudolph willing to be QB3 again? Like, probably not. He He might be like, I've shown enough that somebody else will make me a backup. Like, and you yeah. can't go into next season and say we're gonna have Rudolph and Pickett compete. I mean, and maybe they do that, no. but you can't do that. Like, that's no. Like, no. Like, that's ridiculous. Like that would be such a disappointment to everybody. That would be, 
Yeah. I mean, that'd be all time. Like, what a kick of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So anyway, you can, I'm just painting the picture for fans. Like it isn't as simple as, oh, real, because it's the best choice to win this week. That That is maybe to a fan in your like a finite mindset, like if this week is all that matters. I understand that, but it is bigger than that. There's a bigger part. There's a bigger story happening here. And it's uh, going to take this organization somewhere this offseason. They probably need to go there anyway, but the way in which they've gotten there is just very, very bad. Uh, and Pickett deserves to be to be pissed, frankly. And I hope he gets a chance you know, somewhere else probably uh, to, to play better. And like I said, I don't think that's going to happen. He's gonna. I don't think he's going to be some panacea, but I do think that he can be better than he showed under Canada for sure. And that's going to be a competent NFL quarterback probably that Probably not. I'm not that interested in just mere competency, but somebody will be. And I think hopefully that he ends up with a coach they can get more out of him. But no doubt, I will say, no doubt, Rudolph's poise and just being a little bit more of an in-structure player. You'll pick it when it was when he was like, oh, he was making plays out of structure. It was a little bit exciting. Rudolph just being a little more of an in-structure player does raise the floor. There are less of the negative reps, the throwaway sacks, things like that because of that. Now, Rudolph has plenty of his limitations. We've talked about him. And so there's uh, you're still not going anywhere big time with him. But I understand the allure of that. And Pickett does need to own that part of his game and get better at it if he wants to be uh, the quarterback that he can be someday. So he's not without blame, but he also has every right to be pissed. Every right in the world. No, seriously. Like it's sometimes when people say, like, oh, this guy's I'm like, I'd be concerned if he wasn't mad. <laughs> like right. these are human beings that like want and it's not about like his career or his con like it's not like literally like he's a competitor. He's a foot and, and again, he also he's been saddled with like a terrible surrounding circumstance. I mean, has he even played a full he's probably played what a full season? Like he's probably played like 17 NFL games. Like, um, yeah, and also that's also just like you're kind of admitting that you just it was a total reach of a pick in the first place. Like, you know, if you took him like where he belonged, we'd probably have a different conversation, right? Like if he went second round and then everybody, uh, and then Ritter and Malik and all those guys went third round, whatever um, it's, but no, you took him 20th overall. And like, you know, not that you should be saddled by draft capital and, and whatever, but it's just, yeah, it's just not, it's just not a good process. Like it's plain and simple, really. We're, we're almost like kind of talking at, at length about a very simple thing. Like it's just not a very good process and it doesn't show a lot of foresight and planning and like clean execution and, you know, kind of like, having a reason behind what you're doing as opposed to kind of just like flying by the seat of your pants. And, you know, the results have obviously been good, um, but eventually, you know, process is going to trump results. And, and again, the winning record stuff is cool, um, but they haven't won a playoff game in, in quite some time. And like, that's where it comes in, you know, on the edge cases and on when you play good opponents, um, you know, in, in meaningful games, what happens. So I know we got to jump a little bit. If you want to get into a little bit of defense, uh, I think you, you, you got to know where I'm going to go with my first highlight. Uh, of the game I guess we have two guys or three guys in the rookie class but the one who plays the least and he probably has the highest splash mm -hmm. play per snap of any of them I mean Nick Herbig's strip sack was sensational I mean <laughs> oh, man. double teamed with a chip from Kenneth Walker who's offset to his side they drop TJ Watts like he is the focus of the pass rush he gets the he swims Kenneth Walker and then beats the tackle around the outside and it does it all fairly quickly because Gino this year I think has taken strides in like feeling pressure because his pass protection has been so bad. Like historically he does have some pressure to sack issues, but I think it's been better this year and still just gets there. It was a remarkable snap from, from Nicker pick. 
It was awesome, man. And just the talent that's on this defense, like if they can just fill in some of the spots this offseason and get better coaching, like, you know, whether that's Tomlin improving or hiring a different defensive coordinator and obviously improving the secondary just health-wise and talent-wise is going to make a big difference. But I don't, I'm not even that worried about the linebackers. I know people are going to talk about this offseason, but I think if you can get comparable, if you can get Holcomb back and Roberts back, like I'm pretty comfortable with those guys. They've been decimated this season with injuries. But I'm pretty comfortable with those guys coming back and maybe add a young player in the draft at some point. Um, but really, I just think the front is so good and has potential to be unbelievable next year. Like if they're ready to lean into playing Benton more next year, if they're if you know Hayward fully healthy, you're talking about Watt and Highsmith and what they are right now at the peak of their powers. Just absolutely, they wrecked this game. Every play, Gino had to get the ball so fast, um, or he was getting hit. I mean, it was just the clinic. Gino was under pressure. 62.2% of the time in this game. Like that's how much insanely high for, for context. Like that's an insanely high number. Yeah, just a crazy high number. Like I think what did I say? Rudolph was under pressure 20. Well, I forget what it was, but it, it, either something way, like, like this high was, 20s. Yeah, yeah, high 20, something like that, it, it, which was on the low end, but 62% is just crazy. Like, and it wasn't like he was holding the ball forever either and trying to make things happen. Like, like his average yeah, time no. throwing this game is 2.7 seconds. And those throws, even when he was under pressure, like he wasn't even over under over three seconds then. Whereas I think Rudolph on the throws he was under pressure was like three and a, almost three and a half seconds or something. So it was just really, really dominant by the front. The rookie tackle or the second year tackles for Seattle um, struggled. Lucas got hurt partway through the game. Stone Forsyth comes in. That was a bloodbath. Like all three of these guys just got decimated um, all game long by those guys. And Herbig being, he played two snaps, like you said, but being able to impact the game in that way. That was, that was the game changing play. Probably really. That was a, one of the clinchers yeah. and that's how, what you, that's what you have to have. If you're this defense, that's one of the reasons it's been so frustrating to watch this team defensively struggle this season, especially when Watt and Highsmith get tired is that they have other really good edge rushers on the sideline. Like Marcus Golden has been awesome this year when he's played. Herbig has been awesome this season when he's played and they don't lean on those guys enough. And this, this game was only 49 defensive snaps. It's all they were out there for uh, in this game, but you have to get those guys on the field more. Uh, I feel like in order to be successful and um, they haven't done that yet. They haven't woken up to that just yet, but the way that Herbig's playing and the impact that he's made, they're making it really hard for coaches to maintain this really old school approach because how they're playing has been so impressive. And also, also I don't know why I said, did I say 49 snaps? You also right? two. We have more than two. It's not a lot, but we have more than two. Do uh, you? It says – that's interesting. See. I thought I saw two this morning for him. Yeah, two. I see two. two. Maybe I'm looking we, at spe- – I'm including special teams what I'm looking at maybe. Uh, yeah, it must be because I'm looking just at defense right now. Two snaps, both pass rush snaps. He graded out as a 99 for BM. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he had a pressure. The other one was on the opposite side. I don't know if it was against Lucas or Forsythe, but he cuts back inside – Gino gets rid of the ball, but he would have – he had a free lane. He was literally closing yeah. in on a sack, you know, and he gets the ball out. So, okay, I guess it's just two defensive snaps and both yeah. were like plus one – I mean, the, uh, the the strip sack's a plus one and a half, which is about as good as it gets. It's very hard to get a plus yeah. two. Um, and yeah, Marcus I mean, Golden, by the way, Marcus Golden had nine snaps, six pass rush snaps, and he had three pressures. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, like, both of those guys were the highest two-graded players from PFF for the Steelers defense in this game. But we're get a 99 <laughs> pass rush grade? <laughs> He was 91 grade for Marcus Golden overall. Like, and yeah, they they they're awesome. The the front, if those guys can be as dominant as they're supposed to be, 
it gives you the chance to make game altering plays and create turnovers, which is this the only way this team is successful is if those things happen because they're just not talented enough or they're not, they're not good enough. I should say they're, they're plenty of talent, but they're not good enough as a team to be able to pull off wins without that kind of production. So I think that's a huge, huge storyline in all this. Benton played 22 snaps uh, in this game, still less than Ogunjobi, who played 39. Ogunjobi's been good lately, especially rushing the yeah. quarterback. That's been a nice little resurgence. Again, another part of it, like if he can be a part of this thing and they can go eight deep up front, we've seen the, the lengths that can take people in the playoffs. Now the Steelers aren't good enough probably in other key areas like play call or quarterback, things like that, to go far in the playoffs. But they've got that part of the formula down. And then all the attention turns to OC quarterback, cornerback in the offseason. But like even the way Joey Porter Jr. played in this game, and I know there are moments with DK Metcalf, he got beat on, on one play for sure at the top of the route. He looked pretty bad, but battles back and makes some breakups in the end zone and plays Metcalf tough on a couple of key possessions. And, you know, he's just being asked so much. <laughs> There's ne- he's never going to be asked more of Joey Porter Jr. in his career than what is happening as a rookie. And he's playing well every single week. Um, so you have to just be really excited about that. If they can get competency around this defense and around the talent that's there, even filling in the blanks and the rest of the spots with, especially where there's been injuries, it could be a really exciting, fun group, but this year they got, Outside of all the positives we're talking about, they just got absolutely caved in. Like the, Gino was awesome in this game. He made a bunch of big time throws. The receivers were great. They cooked these Steelers DBs over and over again. It was it was pretty ugly outside of the pass rush being able to try and try and save the day on every single rep. Yeah, the other one I'll shout the uh, first quarter eleven twenty five to go. Uh, Benton at zero tech. I mean, he's the f- fastest player off the ball. It's when uh, Kim Hayward had a tip pass on like a slant route to the left side. Um, I mean, Benton just swats. I think it's Evan Brown who's playing center for them now. I mean, just throws him out of the way and gets a pressure. But, like, he's also the fastest player off the ball of anyone right. on the defensive line. Um, so, yeah, no, that, that that unit is is so much fun. Um, 29 pressures for a team perspective in this game. Yeah. No, it's funny because I saw someone saying, like, Gino didn't play well. I'm like, considering the circumstances, I thought Gino played exceptionally well. <laughs> like, he was yeah, under he siege the entire game. Like, yeah, he's yeah. awesome. Yeah, he was great. So yeah, that's um, crazy. Yeah. Um, I think he had four big time throws in this game for y'all's stats. Like he was, but yeah, I mean, he kept him. He kept him alive in the game. Honestly, like it, um, it was, it was really impressive. And the Steelers secondary continued to you know struggle. I think which is what's going to happen when they get up against good quarterbacks. Hasn't happened in a while where they've. I mean, Jake Browning threw for, for almost what three thirty five on him, three four. They got the picks, but he threw for all those yards on him. Like they've been carved up pretty consistently. Will Levis carved him for that first half. Like there's been no real sustained like stretches of where they're not getting carved up. They've been better in the red zone. They've created some turnovers. They've done some things like that. Um, there's been more high end plays probably for them than there was early in the season, but the low end stuff's still there. The floor is still pretty low. Obviously you have Joey Porter in there. Now that helps. Um, Shannon Sullivan's played a little bit better. We'll probably note that before we get out of here. Like that's been helpful. Like the last couple of weeks, I mentioned that last week too. I thought watching live at least, I still got to rewatch the the forty nine defensive snaps in this game. But um, that was impressive and, and good to see uh, for sure. But yeah, I, I think the biggest, the last thing I want to touch on, Brad, and let, um, is really just the playoff picture going to week eighteen. And we'll close maybe with this if you're cool with it. Here's how I have it finishing. You tell me what you think is crazier off here. In week 18, I have the Steelers winning for the sake of basically the scenario, but whether you think it'll happen or not is something we'll debate next week or on Thursday. Uh, Texans beating the Colts. Uh, that one really doesn't matter for the Steelers too much, I don't think, but I uh, like Stroud. We'll see. Um, 
The Bucks beating the Panthers, that one doesn't matter. I'll just stick to AFC ones. The Browns beat the Bengals. Lions beat, I'll, I'll read them all. Well, Lions beat the Vikings. Uh, Jets beat the Patriots. Saints beat the Falcons. Titans over the Jaguars. Again, kind of for scenario's sake, but I actually think that's going to happen. Bro. So do I. Oh, 100%. 100%. Abel has those. They're, they're going to be rabid this week. Like, he is the spoiler coach. Like, that's the, sure. not the coach you want to face in week 18. I don't care who he has. Like, and the Jaguars nightmare, nightmare scenario projects. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So uh, Seattle over Arizona, um, Green Bay over Chicago. Uh, sorry, Chiefs. I actually really hope Chicago wins that game, by the way. Uh, I think they're Chiefs, going to also. I don't know what yeah. <laughs> Chiefs over the Chargers, uh, Raiders over the Broncos, Eagles over the Giants, Rams over the 49ers, because the 49ers probably won't play their starters. Uh, Cowboys over the Commanders. Bills over the Dolphins. Do you do you think anything is crazy? You kind of generally agree with that. No, I, the the key ones that you touched on there, like I was going to say, I have Bills. I was wondering which yeah. way you're going to go on that one. Because um, I think Jalen Waddle doesn't play. I think Xavier Howard doesn't play. If those guys play, I actually think I would have taken Miami um, to, to get some revenge there. Yeah, and then, not that it matters, but I think the Browns can't improve or worsen their position, okay. so they might just so, not yeah, play anyone. Nice. Yeah, that yeah. one doesn't matter, but yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter, though. And then, yeah, I, this isn't as a Bears fan. Obviously, I am one. I think they're going to go into Green Bay and do exactly what Detroit did last year. Nothing to play for, but they hate the, the team so much, and they're playing such good ball right now. Uh, I think they're going to win that game outright. Um, awesome. Yeah. And then I have CJ Stroud as well. Yeah, it would be, be great. Uh, or if it, or if they lose, um, you know, you get a better draft pick. So, but, but I think they're going to win. Um, yeah. CJ Stroud I have as well. And then, yes, my favorite – and Vrabel just had a had a. I, we need to watch it. I guess like an all time video because everyone's yeah, tuning it out. Much. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, it could not be a worse scenario for Jacksonville too, just because Tana. It's like Tannehill over over Will Levis right now. I think Tannehill's a better yeah. player, so it's like I think they'd rather play Will Levis, and it's going to be Tannehill. Um, yeah. You get Derrick Henry's last game, and the Jags have been good against the run, um, but there's I mean their secondary is just abysmal. Yeah, they, they did well against you know Bryce Young, who was bad, but honestly. DJ Chark may have dropped like 100 yards in a touchdown in that game. <laughs> um, that film I watched first because I was like, how did they score zero points? Because this Jags defense, I mean, I've been making fun of them on this show, I think, for weeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I mean, they, they they made some plays, but the Panthers are just inept. Um, but yeah, anyway, anyway, I think all the like the leverage games, I think we actually align on all of them. So it's just interesting because here's the scenario as I'll say Baltimore first round, first seed. Obviously, that's locked in. The way I just read it, this would mean. Houston is the four seed playing Cleveland, the five seed, Kansas City, the third seed against Miami, the sixth seed, and Buffalo, the second seed against Pittsburgh, the seventh seed. Now, if you're the Steelers, you obviously want to get in, but wouldn't you rather be the sixth seed and play Kansas City in this scenario, which would require Miami beating Buffalo, basically? And that would bump Pittsburgh to the sixth seed. In this scenario, if Jacksonville still lost, the Bills would be the seventh seed and they'd play Miami again as the seventh seed uh, the next week. But if you're Pittsburgh, would you rather play Kansas City or Buffalo right now? Oh, Kansas City by a billion miles. Yeah, For I'd sure. much rather play Kansas City. I'm saying, yeah, no, yeah, hundred percent, which is insane. Yeah. That's Pavel Holmes. I, like, I know, I know. But yeah, I've watched every game in Kansas City this season, and their their tackles are suspect, which bodes well for Pittsburgh. Yep. The receivers in the past game are just not that dynamic. Now, could they still carve Pittsburgh? Hundred percent. But if we're talking about scenarios, which obviously we're just you know assuming they get in the playoffs, they we're going to talk about. That's just an interesting one to have in the box pocket. It seems like it's one of those two teams. The way I'm seeing it, uh, if Pittsburgh gets in, oh, there's also the scenario if Jacksonville wins and then Miami wins, 
then Miami would be the two seed and Pittsburgh would play them. So that one of those three teams are basically they're going to play. If you think Jacksonville wins and Miami wins, which I don't think either of those things are going to happen, but they could both happen. Then Pittsburgh would play Miami. And is that the most ideal? I still think that's, that's, that seems crazy, but it might be the most ideal. So that would be the scenarios as we laid them out there. We'll see what happens. Obviously it's going to be very interesting to see how that all goes down, but could be a very fun final week of the season last couple uh moments there uh for the Steelers this season this regular season to be evaluating as the as week 18 winds down so I'm pretty excited about it Brad it's gonna be fun some fun scenarios we want the Chiefs that's that's the takeaway we uh, still, Miami, even over Miami I also would rather play Chiefs than Miami like that's I... wow interesting <laughs> I think I'm like, close here's the thing the Chiefs defense is more formidable than Miami's for sure for and sure. I just think they would just murder whoever's out there for the Steelers. I mean, they're going to lose to all three of them, but yeah, they're going to lose all three of them. Good point. All right. We'll bounce out of here on this and uh, we'll uh, let people get back to it. Well, Thursday, we'll be back to preview the next show. Until then, appreciate y'all. Thanks so much uh, for listening to another episode of the Yin's No Ball podcast.